0: Uh, Last year, can you hear me all right? Okay, last year when I left um, Hollyhock to continue on uh, to teach another weekend and two-week retreat um, at IMS, Insight Meditation Society, um, the winter had been cold enough that I knew I might be able to make it to this Audubon, Massachusetts, Audubon Sanctuary, in time to see um, this quite endangered spring flower uh, to find it in bloom. And it's um, called Trailing Arbutus, not a very exciting name for the um, its scent. And it's such an obscure flower that um it's very hard to see. You kind of have to almost lay on the ground and remove all the dead leaves from the winter um, and the snows and uh, I don't think there's a smell that embodies spring. I can't describe it other than it's this particular flower. I worked at this place, the sanctuary. Well, actually, I worked nearby. I worked as a um, wildflower expert uh, in 1971 and 1972. It was a camp in the summer, an Audubon camp. Um, and over the years, sometimes I had the opportunity to go there. It's, it's actually a very obscure sanctuary. It's not um, that well-known. And there's there was always the threat that they were going to sell it because it wasn't um, popular. And in recent years... Um, and I, I just think it's so incredible that they decided to do this, the, the people directing Massachusetts Audubon. They decided to just totally and completely leave it alone. So if a, a tree falls on a trail, they're not going to chainsaw it and remove it. Like it, I couldn't believe they decided to do this instead of sell it they've decided to do this incredible experiment where they're just not going to tinker with it or manipulate it at all and it has incredible um, swamps and cliffs and um, stream it's, it's a, a very beautiful place Um, so I'm not sure exactly when they decided to do that Um, but even I in my wildest dreams could never imagine because I know the place well it's been one of my spiritual homes Um, these little islands of wildflowers are starting to make a comeback and you know fairly quickly like you know, you know, you wander. You can't walk um, straight on the trails. I mean, not that they were ever, like, fancy. Um, this was a very uh, obscure place. Uh, and I... Last year when I was walking through there, I haven't been there for a few years, I literally couldn't believe it. You know, because it's not just one kind of wildflower. It's many different kinds of endangered ones. I mean, they're just coming up out of nowhere. It's just kind of awesome. And um, I really feel the practice is like that. That if you just will, if we just would stop harassing ourselves. You know, right? Like, just learn to stop it. You know, just please stop harassing ourselves and, and learn how to um, explore rather than to think we have to do it perfectly. There were many gifts that um, studying with Sayada Upandita for many years um, because he was extremely hard on me, uh, but um one of the gifts was that he pretty much made me make every mistake you could possibly make in meditation, and then he would um, really not be nice about the you know the endless mistakes I made. It was like a massively intense behavior (laughs) modification program. But um, once I understood the method we were doing, it got a lot better. Uh, And, uh, you know, he came from a pre-medieval psychology, so of course that's what he knew to do. But I think that... um, When I look back, the level of trust that I got in my practice for um, given a little bit of instruction and then letting me do all these things that actually didn't work well. Um, isn't that how we learn? Really, by exploring. Being given a little bit and then you run with it, right? And see what happens. And the other thing that he would do that was pretty amazing, again, these were long retreats, but um, we had to meet with him every day briefly. Uh, and there might be one little instruction, but it would last, it seemingly forever. Like if you're on a three-month retreat and you get the same, um, either nothing, just over and over, nothing. You know, once in a while he would say, uh, this would be, <laughs> almost, if it was a good interview, and not, you know, worse, but a good interview, he'd just say two words, digest it. I had a month of digest it. (laughs) Digest it. Oh man, I just couldn't stand digesting it. You know, it was just like, thank you very much. Please, (laughs) please say something else. You know, can't we just do something else? You know, it was so um, neutral. I didn't have any sense if things were going, like, okay or not okay, or, you know, just no um, bad job, good job, right? Just, like, digest it, digest it. I didn't even know what I was digesting. You know, that was the best part of it. It would be like, are we having chocolate cake or, you know, (laughs) cucumber soup? I mean, I just, it was so bewildering. Uh, But again, I look back and I think, wow, what... um, Awesome. So little tinkering. So there is a kind of... Um, tonight's talk is going to... It's going to seem like simple basics but they're they're important you know so the aspects of mindfulness that we tend to forget but you know again this reminder that the preverbal attention for example even if we miss it remembering that the sound will happen preverbally always before a concept will happen or the experience of the sensations in our hands will be pre-verbal before we have a word that will say hand, and etc. A thought will happen before <laughs> we get lost in it. So we can um, remember for the attention to be concurrent. For example, that concurrence, that ability to check, not force. And this is something that that's hard. It's hard for us to keep checking once in a while to see if you're moving your leg or you're reaching for a fork or whatever it is. It's like do, it's not to um, do it all the time, but you're with the breath or, or sound, anything <laughs> laying down to go to sleep. It's that just checking to see, am I right with this, or am I behind? Or planning, you know, are we ahead? You know, that is often just enough. For me, that practice, which I pretty much had to learn how to do myself, but for me, being aware of hearing is my easiest sense store to be mindful of. And that's where I learned the beginning of sittings. I check, is my attention behind? It would be pretty obvious. Check out with the breath. It really gets obvious. But it's so easy to slip off it. It can be frustrating um, until you learn that that's just what happens. In fact... W- way into a retreat my first retreat with Pandita it seems like it was way into it it might have been three weeks but he said um, it was almost like by the way uh, how, many do you, how many thoughts do you notice happen in the rising movement you know, it was always like, oh, here comes another one of those questions that I'm going to answer wrong. You know, so I was like, none. (laughs) I was like, wrong answer. You know, he asked me the next day, how many thoughts do you notice in the rising movement? And, you know, of course I knew I didn't answer (laughs) the question right. I hadn't even noticed really. I never counted. And that you know, that particular sitting when I was more clear and I noticed, I answered three. And he was like, digest this, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, you're on something. I gave you enough. Pay attention. But the point of it was that actually you would rarely ever get through a rising movement without a number of thoughts happening. And of course that's why the attention <laughs> wanders, because it's hard And it's no problem if there are many thoughts. It's like that ability to um, get less bothered by them is the point. Not how many happen. So it's that ability, again and again, that learning. It's that learning to, to distinguish between thinking and being bothered by thinking. right It's the learning to be able to distinguish between physical sensations in the present moment as they're appearing as texture or vibration and the word leg or hand. It's like it's that um, without force. So if I would check and see that my attention couldn't be concurrent with hearing, I just wouldn't expect it. I might check ten minutes later. Just don't didn't have it. No problem. Gonna be behind. <laughs> Thoughts are gonna gonna get more caught in thinking. You know, you have a sleepy sitting, and you're lucky. You know, like you notice hardly anything. Okay, that's fine. That's a sleepy sitting. Not our fault. I think for many years, another question I would... It's not even a question, but I would see if there was concurrence, if I was actually receiving the texture, or if the attention was just hard, if it was bouncing off. Again, if, if it wasn't able to be receptive, that was fine. But it, I would not I wouldn't remember... It's just that remembering. It's a few little things that we do, and your ways might be very different than mine. You might have different things to kind of kind of remember. For some people, they hear the word kindness, and something softens. For other people, it goes in ear, one ear and out the other ear. You see, we are all different and it, we have to be careful also not so, something that works a few times isn't going to work all the time you know the, i mean that's what you, we often find ourselves doing more than anything you know i so, you know you know well i ate this much food and i had a i wasn't sleepy right so i'm going to repeat that or i you know i had so much coffee I, I was so lost in thinking it was crazy but um, I was awake right like you you know it's just that again, you're trying to figure out how to have the best sitting but the energy is going to go up and down anyway and yes you know there's a certain level where you start to learn a certain level of that middle path of moderation of sleep, of food, or whatever. That that it's the moderation that's helpful, and that it, it's moderation that's so hard. It's much easier to eat too little or too much. We all know that, <laughs> of whatever. <laughs> I remember um, way back, I, I was born with tremendous allergies, and... Um, and, of course, when I was young in the 50s, they tell you you're going to outgrow them. And, I mean, mine are getting worse. Outgrow so them. But, you know, I've tried all kinds of different things. You know, you sort of get discouraged and give up, and then you think, well, I'll try this new thing. And um, I had seen Dick Gregory. He <laughs> was a great um, African-American activist, comedian, um, and I think in the real early 70s, he had just come out of fasting in jail, real thin up there on that stage and very bright. Um, and he talked about mostly the power of your mind, like the power of the mind. Um, it's just like if you, if you, make an intention to be kind during a sitting and then let it go that's what that's what that is it's the that power of intention but not like um obsessing about it so he he talked about diet and stuff and instead of really kind of researching it or being more careful with it i just decided i lived in northern maine um it was really cold. And I decided, okay, I'm going to try to cure these allergies by, by basically only eating fruit, practically. Like, it was just, um, the re- it was pretty ridiculous. And we had this 87-year-old guy that lived with us up there at the time, and he kept just shaking his head, you know, in January. You know, it's like below zero, and he'd be like, I don't know, Michelle. <laughs> I really don't think this is a good idea. Mm. You know, and it wasn't, but, you know, I was trying for a while. You know, nothing grew up there. You know, you're lucky if you got apples. You know, in the summer it was so cold. <laughs> it was a really harsh, harsh climate. Um, and then I came on retreat. So I think I, you know, and I added things in, but I was still trying really hard. I even gave up tea. I mean, for me, black tea, I even gave that up. Ah, Desperate, it can really get desperate. Um, <laughs> um, so, I had a, I went in for an interview during the retreat, um, and I described this to this person, and he said, um, "You know, sometimes when we go way over this way, <laughs> eventually we're going to go way over this way." Um, And I kind of, I heard that and I forgot about it. But you can't believe how far over this way I went. You know, like it was years to watch the swing. But it was just like um, all that cheese I hadn't eaten, you know, or all that milk or all that whatever, whatever bread, all that stuff I hadn't eaten, I just like really ate. And I couldn't eat fruit for like years. I had just, I, you know, I, I still have a hard time with it. I just, oh, deed, you know, I just overdid it. And um, <laughs> it was incredible because all that happened, I mean, this is what's so ludicrous is that, you know, my mucus got a little clearer. No, really, something did change. I had the same amount of mucus. <laughs> incredible amount, but it was clear and I thought, oh, this is not worth it, right, on top of it, not much happened Um, not worth that level of renunciation right, It it was way too much, it was so hard to be go anywhere, eat anywhere, it was just it was ridiculous, but I know we all do these type of things but the middle path that middle path no matter what is really hard whatever it is we do you know it's brilliant most of us have heard the story of this um, one of the earliest retreats that were done in I think, North America, um, Vipassana retreats coming from Asia. um, There was this yogi that was getting more and more bothered by the other humans, you know, his fellow (laughs) yogis. And um, he kept thinking that if he could just get away, you know, from everybody, his practice would get better. And it got more intense and more intense. And he left the retreat partway and he rented a cabin in the woods by a stream. Uh, And after three days there, he found himself out in the stream rearranging the rocks so that the sound would be different. (laughs) Right? It's like... We think that we're trying to get away from the humans, but it's really the aversion that we're running from. And so he couldn't run from it, right? You can't. Eventually, there'll be something that bothers us, no matter where we go. It might not be human, but it was such a um, insight for him. We do it all the time. This stuff, you know. We think it's, you know, we, th- we always think it's something else because it's um, so hard to really understand. It took me a long time to understand that. That there's there's something unpleasant, we, we can't control it, and um, we don't see that we're disliking it, and that it's actually the disliking that's so painful. The irritation, the frustration, the impatience, the annoyance. It's like we get caught in blaming something outside, And even that, as you start to understand it, you can't move through it so that you're fully enlightened and you're just totally okay with the pain in the world, right? It's like it's a gradual process with a lot of moderation. So that it's like you gradually get a relationship to all these aspects of aversion so that they don't bother you. It's the aversion that bothers us. (laughs) That takes time to digest. (laughs) Last year at the retreat at IMS, there was a a little more experienced um, student that asked a question in the hall. Um about mindfulness and it was very interesting because he said um, isn't mindfulness just like you know if I stand up knowing that I'm standing up if I turn my head is it knowing that I turn my head that's mindfulness right and I was like "Well, you know like that's an aspect of mindfulness but you know there's a lot to it it's you know that's part of it And I remember Jesse asked, you know, after I said that, like, well, you know, what what do you actually experience when you're mindful? So it was like, rather than going from, well, it's, you know, do you think it's this, but just like kind of over the course of the days, you know, getting a sense of what your experience of it is. There's, um, for example, mindfulness can be strengthened by the factor of awakening investigation. Our mindfulness can be balanced deeply and purified by the appearance of equanimity. So that it's, um, there's a lot to it in a way, but it's always good when we're practicing to keep it pretty simple. Years ago, um, many years ago, I coined an acronym RAIN um, for different qualities of awareness that I felt were helpful to kind of, it's just like a very broad brush stroke and it's been funny for me to watch it kind of go out in the world, um, because for me, it's so much more... Um, there's so much more to it. And for how I teach it now, and I see it out there, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> that's interesting. So the word RAIN, I would, I would say uh, R is recognition, A, acceptance, I, interest... And non-identification, and um, what was fun for me over time was to see that I I actually became more and more interested in also teaching the opposites of the letters. You know the qualities. So for example, recognition is it's outrageously important. It's like you know you can. But what is the opposite? It's being spaced out, right? And how spaced out are we? I mean, it's awesome how spaced out we are a lot. So if we're not, if we don't grasp even remotely the importance of the opposite of recognition, recognition is going to get more and more um, inaccessible. Thank you for listening.